This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. 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 Let it bump, though. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox podcast. I am Dan Pavalli, coming at you without Andy Bailey this time, but we are pleased to be joined by NBA Math's own Eric Spiropoulos, who is also the founder, editor, and podcast host over at the 94 Feet Report. They put out a lot of content over there, so I would highly suggest that you go and check it out. And he also writes about the Houston Rockets and the NBA in general, over at Hoops Habit, in addition to, as I said, publishing over at MBA Math. So he is a very busy guy, but he is taking time out of that schedule to come talk to us about the 2017-2018 Houston Rockets. So I am excited. You should be excited. Uh, How are you doing today, Eric? I'm doing pretty well. I'm always down to talk some Rocket basketball, so I'm excited to be on the show. Is this the this is the team like when you kind of look at the makeup and what's happened uh, this season? It, it's the team that I guess no, out of everything that has gone down, uh, with the exception of I guess the Kyrie Irving trade stuff, it's the team that no one saw coming, right? Like I don't know that even when the initial port, report came out before June or around June that Chris Paul would meet with the Nuggets and the Rockets in free agency and the Spurs were looming. Uh, like was this? Was a Chris Paul, James Harden backcourt like ever supposed to be on the table? No. I mean, you can ask anybody and no one expected this kind of pairing. I mean, when the report came out that he was meeting with the Rockets, well, the Nuggets were also included there. And I was thinking that, oh, come on, like he's not going to Denver. So he's probably not going to go to Houston. Probably just wants to get a meeting. Um, Players like to take meetings with other teams as well because they kind of feel courted and, and kind of, you know, praised by the opposing teams. And obviously there were some rumors that Harden and, and Paul were friends, but no one knew, you know, apparently how good of a friend friendship they had. Um, and so then the, you know, from once that original, original report came out that he was going to take meetings with the Nuggets and Rockets. And then all of a sudden it just kind of escalated really quickly to he's focused in on the Rockets. And then next thing you know, the trade happened and we were all kind of dumbfounded and shocked and, you know, turning our attention to how this partnership could work because it's extremely unique in today's NBA. Yeah. And it's even like, let's say you just, you saw Houston going through the motions to carve out the necessary cap space to get Chris Paul, the whole, he's going to opt in. Like that just, that just came out of nowhere. Like the report, all of a sudden it just broke from Woj. Like it was just done. It was it was just absolutely insane. And even when you look at Kyrie Irving specifically, no, I don't think anyone would have guessed he'd end up in Boston at the beginning of the summer. But you could kind of see where the Cavs were at and when they were linked to Butler and George. Well, you could justify giving Irving up for one of those guys. So I, I just still, the Chris Paul move, like the Jimmy Butler to Minnesota, that's been going on for like since Tibbs went there, it feels like. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you got that. The Paul George to the Thunder move, you know, it, it was... It was surprising, but you knew he was being shopped around the league, and you knew that the Pacers kind of had no idea what they wanted. So this was just incredible to me. And we talked about this before we went on the air. Are you at all concerned? And we have to start here, just the Chris Paul-James Harden pairing in general. Are are you concerned at all uh, about how they'll operate on the court and then also off the court? Because Dwight and James Harden never got along. And I, I think I wouldn't say that Chris Paul's this cancer locker room cancer but there are reports there are stories of him being this overbearing teammate and is that all of a sudden just going to work uh for james harden so are you concerned about either of those dynamics at all uh yeah well let's start with off the ball because i feel like those are where the serious concerns come into play and and the Mm -hmm. valid concerns um they're extremely different personalities. Um, as you just mentioned, Dwight and James didn't work out. And, you know, Dwight has, you know, gone on to other teams since the Rockets and has, you know, 
only lasted in Atlanta one year, now he's in Charlotte. So it looks like Dwight himself is really the main problem in any kind of situation where he's involved in. But this this situation is really interesting because Harden is really laid back, um, kind of a kind of a weird personality, laid back leader. He will take command and, and, and leadership sometimes, but he doesn't really do it very often. He doesn't really do it very kind of publicly and you know loud. Chris Paul is the exact opposite. I mean, as you mentioned, there are reports that he's extremely overbearing. He demands a, a lot from his teammates, and, and rightly so, because Paul is kind of a player at his caliber who has not really won in the playoffs like he should have. He's really getting frustrated, and he really expects a lot from his teammates. And in L.A., he did have you know Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, a really you know a respected coach, in Doc Rivers, and some solid role players. So understandable that he did expect a lot, but that can really you know wear on on your teammates if you just keep yelling at them when they mess up and, and things like that and Harden doesn't do that and so it'll be interesting to see and I have concerns that you know as we mentioned before we got on the air that it's really hard to change who you are as a person like your personality so you know people saying that oh you know, they'll just figure it out they're friends they can figure it out well you know you can be friends off the court but then when you play together it can be really different um so I, I, I think the biggest concern with this pairing is off the court with their personalities on the court I don't think that there should be that much of a concern, especially if they both buy in and they both, you know, use Mike D'Antoni's vast playbook and, and you know, experience as an offensive kind of guru. Um, because both of them, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but both of them are good off the ball. Um, they're good catch and shoot uh, shooters. Um, and, you know, with a nice big man like Clint Capella to initiate a pick and roll with, you know, there could be instances where Paul brings up the ball, initiates a pick and roll with Capella. He could either get a shot for himself, a lob to Capella, or pass it out to one of the shooters. He could pass it out to Harden, who comes off the ball, who either gets a rescreen from Capella or Ryan Anderson. There's just so many options offensively um, for these two to run the offense. And uh, the biggest thing I think with this pairing is that, you know, staggering their minutes, which is what Mike D'Antoni has said he will do, is is a must, in my opinion. Um, you need to have one of them on the floor at all times because then they'll all, they'll both get their chances of running, you know, at point guard and, and feel most comfortable, but then at the same time still have, you know, stretches where they can kind of dominate as a duo on the court. So I think that off, you know, on court, there really shouldn't be that many valid concerns um, from people, but there can certainly always be concerns about their personalities clashing throughout the year. Yeah, the I don't worry, I guess, about the personalities as much um, as I would Dwight and Harden after you kind of think it through just because uh, Harden is, is sort of an introvert and maybe he'll appreciate someone like Paul who comes and takes command as that you know mm -hmm. alpha leader where Dwight Howard probably fancies himself an alpha leader but doesn't really want the responsibilities or the, mm -hmm. uh, the blame that comes with it. Uh, and it seems like when it comes to basketball, like we know Harden kind of lives it up off the court as he should, uh, but we've seen about his epic yacht parties, I believe. Yeah. So, but on the court, he seems to take it very seriously. And, and he would be, if we're looking at a Dwight Howard, Chris Paul spectrum, and they're on completely different ends of the scale, I, I think Harden is closer to uh, the Paul end. The, as you mentioned on the court, if you just look at the off ball numbers, there, there shouldn't be an issue. And I, this was one of the first things I looked up when, the trade happened since 2013, 2014, Paul is shooting almost 44% on spot up threes. The only issue I think there is, is that those shots have accounted for only a little bit more than 8% of his total look. So playing off the ball is going to be an adjustment for him. And I think when it's this late in someone's career, uh, when he's used to dominating the ball as much as he is, and now Harden, since he's come to Houston, he's also shot well uh, on off-ball threes. He's at almost 45%, and while it's a bigger part of his offense, it's still less than 15% of his looks over that time. You have to make those adaptations, and I think there are complications there. That being said, and I know we've seen where players want to go somewhere and it doesn't work out, a la Dwight in Houston in the first place, but this is Paul. He kind of knows... Uh, what's at stake. He knows what his role has been over his first decade plus in the league. And the fact that he opted in, talked to Harden clearly and wanted to go there uh, makes you think that he and Harden are both going to make whatever concessions they have to. And like you said, Mike D'Antoni will stagger their minutes. So that might help with the learning curve as well. Um, so I just find myself where I try and look for like these downsides and, and maybe there will be. Uh, I feel like there isn't as many or aren't as many. And if I had to guess, I would say Paul probably makes more concessions just because he's the one coming in. And I think it probably helps him in terms of longevity to make those other sacrifices where he's going to play off the ball more and he'll get more spot up 
opportunities. And then maybe that allows him to expend more energy on the defensive end for longer because we know he's never going to pace himself. That's just not when you watch him play. It's just he just doesn't know how to Mm -hmm. on the defensive end. So I'm interested to see what happens uh, on defense now that his offensive load should lighten really for the first time in his career. So I'm not saying we're going to get the best possible version of Chris Paul, but I do think there's a very good chance that we get perhaps the most efficient version of Chris Paul and that it's one that could possibly last for years down the line as he ebbs into his twilight. Yeah, I agree. I think that efficiency is a big thing. I think also for Harden as well, I think he'll get better looks, better quality looks that can also help his efficiency as well. And even for Harden, I think that having someone like Paul to handle some parts of the offensive load will give him more energy. Now, again, with Harden, it really comes down to his mindset and effort on defense. Um, But this could be the first time in his career that he's had someone as good as Chris Paul um, since he's become kind of a a starter and and serious player, not kind of off the bench with the Thunder. But um, this could be obviously going to be the first time he has someone of Chris Paul's caliber to handle some of the offensive load. So he will, I think Harden will have a lot more energy to play defense. Now, again, with Harden, We'll see if if Chris Paul's leadership and kind of, you know, bearing uh, personality can kind of get hardened to kind of buy in a little bit more on defense, which would obviously help. Um, because as I think we'll talk about later, the Rockets now can be a really good defensive team and they can be even better if Harden were to buy in for some significant stretches, which he should be able to now that he's not kind of having that insane usage and having to uh, having all these other shooters rely on him to create shots. He's got Chris Paul to handle that as well. Um, and the thing of going back to kind of, the two wanting to make it work well when it was originally after the trade was announced there were a lot of reports from and i can't remember who had you know tweeted this out but someone had tweeted out saying that one of the biggest reasons paul chose the rockets besides you know being friends with Harden, seeing what he can do with the team and mike d'antoni is that paul was actually interested in playing more off the ball so you can't have that report come out and have paul say that he's more interested in coming off playing off the ball and then you know start the season and he doesn't want to do it so I feel like as you said Chris Paul will probably you know concede a little bit more um, I think he's interested in playing off the ball um, especially alongside a player like Harden so the fact that all the reports are that they want to make it work Chris Paul's interested in playing off the ball I, they have Mike D'Antoni one of the best offensive coaches of all, all time um, all of those reasons kind of give you confidence for why this will work on the floor yeah and as you pointed out at the beginning of that answer it's a big deal that they're gonna have Chris Paul in the playoffs now because you kind of saw uh, in that the playoff series against the Spurs that he kind of just reached like after what he did during the regular season like he just reached his his max and he it looked like he couldn't really do anything else and people criticized him uh, after the postseason was over but you look at the workload he had a shoulder all year and Patrick Beverly's a fantastic player on probably one of the three to five best contracts in the NBA right now it's fantastic whenever you have a point guard who's willing to take a lion's share of his looks off the ball and play defense like he does. But you you also want that guy who can run a high-functioning pick-and-roll. And Beverly was fine at times, but I don't think he was that guy. And uh, Chris Paul's also someone else that can just go and get you a bucket. Forget about just running a pick-and-roll or trying to find someone in the corners. Chris Paul will uh, line up. We've seen it in, in close games down the stretch over the last six or eight years. He just He'll try and get you a bucket. So I think... That's a big deal. And if they can find that balance down the stretch to where they're willing to defer to one another, and I think that's probably easier because of how long Chris Paul's been around, he might welcome giving Harden some of that shine during crunch time. Uh, That's going to make them that much more dangerous. Yeah, and uh, I actually wrote an article that just came out yesterday on Hoops Habit. Uh, it's called Five Bold Predictions for the Rocket Season. And one of the bold predictions, which I, I don't think will happen, but again, it is a bold prediction, was that I said that the Rockets could have the, the league's best offense. And the reason I used is that because last season when Harden went to the bench, they had capable players like Beverly and Gordon who could run a, a capable pick and roll kind of playmake. I think Beverly did average you know five assists per game last year. But this year, when, say, they start the game with both Harden and CP3 on the floor, of course, Let's say they take CP3 off first, then Harden wins the offense. And then when Harden goes to the bench, you have CP3 coming in. Two of the best point guards and playmakers probably of all time. And one of them is going to be on the floor at all times, which means that no matter who's on the floor, um, whether they're poor shooters, whether they can dribble the ball themselves or not, um, because the Rockets did add some players that really can't create anything for themselves, they will always have either Chris Paul or James Harden on the floor, which will make their offense incredibly hard to stop and incredibly potent for all 48 minutes since there really isn't going to be a drop-off between you know at the point guard positions as there was last year saying going from Harden to Patrick Beverly so I think that's also another significant aspect of staggering their minutes 
Yeah, because the Rockets bench, as the year wore on, and once Patrick Beverly returned specifically, they were fine without Harden on the floor. I think they finished yeah. nearly three points, plus three points per 100 possessions when he wasn't in the game, which is huge when your star's off the bench. But the offense was only okay. And now now that you said it, and I guess I really, even everyone has talked ad nauseum about D'Antoni staggering their minutes, but we might need to just take a moment of silence to appreciate that Chris Paul is going to see a crap ton of time against second string players. And that's just <laughs> scary as hell. If you, if you yeah. really just stop and think about it. That really is incredibly scary for opposing teams. And I'm just, I, I come back to the defense there. There might, I, I think you can make the case that Beverly and Chris Paul might be a lateral move defensively, but if Chris Paul is shouldering a lighter load on the offensive end, just think of what that's going to do for defense. Like he's just, I I looked this up the other day because I was writing something on uh, predicting who's going to lead the league in every stat category uh, for Bleach Report. And Chris Paul has only not ranked in the top three of steals per game, which is not a catch-all metric for defense, but he's only not ranked in the top three of steals per game twice in his career. And I'm just like, what happens now that he's just going to be able to conserve uh, more energy on the offensive end where his role should get easier uh, because the Rockets, in addition to, hey, he's not going to have to have the ball as much, they also led the league in wide-open three-point attempts per game last year. So it's just mm-hmm. all those factors coming in, it's like you can just cut him loose on defense, and there are going to be minutes where he's probably not even lining up against the best players on the other team because you want to stagger his and Harden's minutes. It's just this is a move that might, because of the trickle-down effect, and we have to get to the – ancillary moves uh, in a couple seconds but just because the trickle-down effect with the what happens when you put Paul next to Harden what happens when you stagger their minutes this looks like a much better all-around team even in that again that one addition vacuum yeah this trade has just such such significant uh, ramifications for both Harden and Chris Paul and Mike D'Antoni and then obviously the supporting players now because now the supporting players are saying and realizing, you know what, no matter when I'm on the floor, I'm going to have one of Chris Paul or James Harden on the floor with me. And that means I'm going to get quality open looks. Um, and hopefully, you know, they're more engaged defensively. Chris Paul's leadership could change things there as well. There are just so many moves that um, result from just this one trade. And the Rockets did lose a lot of depth. But as we're about to talk about um I think they built it up even a better team um, and just as deep of a team this year as the moves they made after the Chris Paul trade during actual free agency. What was your, and there wasn't necessarily a ton, but I think my favorite, and we're going to have to get to the move that's just hanging over everybody's head that hasn't happened, but we'll we'll get to that in a little bit. I think my Mm -hmm. favorite move of this team was them just picking up Luke Mba Amute. Like I like the (laughs) PJ Tucker signing, but yeah. uh, like I just I'm watching uh, Luke last season, he was just he was hitting threes during the regular season, and he's just kind of this beast on defense, this understated beast. Like he's not going to make an all defensive team, but you, you just look at his performance when he kind of vacillates between defending twos, threes, and fours. Sometimes he switches on to point guards. He really suffocates guys in space. I'm just really excited to see him on this squad. Uh, and, of course, P.J. Tucker's good. And, and you look at those two guys, they both defended, uh, looking at isolation specifically, they both defended a, a healthy number last year, and neither of them ranked worse than the 85th percentile. It's a it's a one season in points allowed per possession. It's a one season sample size, but you just look at their body of work. And even, you know, Luke is, and Bamute is an understated post defender too. So that just opens up all these different kinds of small ball combinations for them. And I think we can say this without question that it looks like Houston now probably has the best possible death squad lineup other than what's happening in Golden State. Because if you line up PJ Tucker at the five with Luke at the four, Ariza at the three, and then Harden and Chris Paul in the backcourt, like that's just absurdity. Yeah. And I completely agree with you. I'm really kind of not annoyed. I'm just kind of, you know, bothered that not, not enough people are talking about the Mabamute signing. I, I like the PJ Tucker signing. You know, it's really a, essentially a three year deal because the fourth year is mostly non guaranteed. Um, but the Mabamute signing for the lead, for the veterans minimum, he actually opted out of his play option with the Clippers and took less when he joined the Rockets. And um, as you said, you know, he can guard the post. 
He's long. He's versatile. There was a game against the Spurs like in February, and I remember when I was writing about his uh, free agency signing for Hoops Habit, I, I kind of looked up some of his defensive uh, video, and there was just this game where it was just, I think it's called Mbamute shuts down Kawhi Leonard and LaMarcus Aldridge, and they were just like countless possessions where Mbamute bothers Leonard, then switches into the post and guards Aldridge. Um, just a lot of versatility, and, and Tucker himself too. Tucker's a really physical defender. Um, he'll get it in your face. Um, Mbamute is more of a, a lengthy kind of uh, uses his length to bother you. Tucker's really more just physical and, and it will pound you on the defensive end. Um, but I love both signings a lot. Um, and, you know, I mentioned that the Rockets had lost a lot of depth in the Chris Paul trade, but they lost players um, like Lou Williams, Harrell, and Decker. None of them are known, especially Williams, but none of them are known for their defensive play. Now, Decker could become a, a decent defender, but he's not going to become a Bamute. Um, and Tucker, I mean, just adding defenders to this team that really needed them um, while also bolstering their depth is a huge deal. Um, and then also, you know, on the offensive end, they're both extremely limited players, but, you know, if they put them in the corners and you have either one of Harden or CB3 or both, depending on when they're, when they're playing, uh, on the floor, that means they're going to get quality looks. And last year, um, you know, both became capable three-point shooters when they got quality looks. I think Tucker shot 40% on his threes in Toronto, and Mbamute shot like a career high, I think around 39%, um, playing as a small forward with the Clippers a lot. Um, so I think that they'll also get quality enough looks to be, an, again, you know, above average three-point shooters when they provide their defense, uh, which provides significant value for the Rockets this season. Yeah, I mean, their three-point percentage, I guess in Bob Mute you have to worry about a little bit just because he, he throughout his career, he has not routinely been good. But P.J. Tucker, we saw it. Once he left Phoenix, which wasn't a team that got a lot of high-quality three-point looks, wasn't a team that really looked to take a ton of three-pointers, you move him to Toronto, a team that doesn't generate as much ball movement as this Houston squad should, uh, his three-point percentage from Toronto should carry over, if not improve. And I think he, there's hope that uh, Bob Mute's career performance last year during the regular season should probably translate too. And I'm just interested to see, I'm sure Mike D'Antoni will go to it, but I want to see how much he's going to go to those lineups where you kind of line up Tucker and, and Bob Mute at the five and four respectively, because you don't necessarily, we even saw it with the Warriors. They didn't like to necessarily go to that death lineup too much. And I can't tell whether they're worried about whoever plays the five, just getting beaten down excessively, or if it's just something you want to roll out in small doses, uh, if it's just a personal prerogative of Steve Kerr, who didn't necessarily like to go to, or uh, Mike Brown either, didn't like to go to that Stephen Curry, Kevin Durant pick and roll. It's just kind of that weapon you want to holster until it matters most or just for those certain occasions where you really need it. I'm just interested to see how much, if at all, D'Antoni goes to that super small lineup because I, I think that could be one of the most entertaining five-man combinations in the league. Yeah, I, I really, I really hope that they put throw this lineup out. Maybe not even a lot, just enough in the regular season, so they can get comfortable with it when they most likely inevitably have to throw it out in the postseason, anyways. Um, it's just such a such an interesting lineup. All of them can shoot well enough, especially if you have Paul and Harden on the on the floor at the same time, which means there's so many options for playmaking. They can switch everything defensively. Um, you know, all four, you know, four of those players, Paul. Ariza Tucker and Mbamute are all very good to great defenders. Harden, of course, is a liability, but maybe playing in that lineup, of course, you can hide him on someone, or they, he can just, you know, not have to carry as much of an offensive load, so he does have more uh, energy to play defensively, um, which could help him out there as well. So, you know, that lineup is just can be so suffocating defensively, and then you have two of the best playmakers and point guards of all time, probably in Paul and Harden on the floor um, together, which means it would the lineup will be good offensively as well, most likely. Um, so just this just so many options you can do with that lineup and there are even kind of other variations of a quote-unquote death you know death squad lineup that they could do they could probably throw in eric gordon if they want more shooting um you know gordon's not even close to the defender that ariza was but he also wasn't really that bad last season he was i think he surprised me in terms of how solid enough he is defensively for most stretches um there are just so many variations that they could do of small ball lineups if they want more shooting if they want more defense if they want more playmaking um i just think that the rockets are one of the more versatile teams in the league which of course you have to be in today's nba if you're going to compete with the warriors so that's why these tucker and mabamute signings i think are so valuable um for them this season yeah it's if you look at how that Potential the smaller lineup can kind of match up with the Warriors since that's the team anyone's going to really have to go through. I, I think you could stash Harden on Andre Godala and be okay. Mm -hmm. 
Like he doesn't yeah. in those lineups, he's not gonna. I mean, when he if they try and attack him because Andre Iguodala can run pick and roll, that's maybe when it becomes a problem. But you can kind of if you can make those quick switches, you can put him on the more stationary of the three between Draymond Green, Iggy, uh, and Clay Thompson in those scenarios. So uh, even just looking at that appeal, because you have these other guys who can. Uh, Chris Paul is not someone you want to switch a ton, but he can probably get you or he could probably survive on Stephen Curry and Klay Thompson if he needs be in those lineups. And then you look at what Mbamute and, and P.J. Tucker and Ariza can do in terms of switching. That might really back them up. So I, I hope uh, when these two teams meet, I want to see those lineups just go head-to-head because I'm, I'm completely and utterly fascinated by them. And you, you made the good point about Eric Gordon, who I'm pretty sure is never going to have to dribble again on this Rockets team. <laughs> so, you know, that's just another option they get to go to off the bench. I don't... I, and the bigs they have are perfect, and, and that's probably where we should go next is you, you look at Nene, uh, who they basically signed twice because his first deal yeah. wasn't legal. Uh, you have Clint Capella, whose response to the, the Chris Paul trade was spot on, where he's just like more lobs. <laughs> uh, he, he might lead. He's I'm not saying that Chris Paul necessarily made DeAndre Jordan, but he certainly helped. But now you look at Capella playing next to Harden and Paul. It's like, how does he not lead the league in field goal percentage next year? Um, so, and then even Tariq Black, I like that signing. They just have these bigs who can set some screens and then just sprint, um, down the lane toward the basket and, and finish there off lobs or maybe in traffic. Nene has really good, uh, touch and adjustments. The one thing that might worry me is Capella isn't a very good post defender just yet. He's just so long and lean that it's, it's tough, but that's not really that important into today's NBA and you have Nene who is who is just fine doing that so it's almost like they have these they're gonna probably have a traditional five on the floor for most of the time during the season so you just have these guys that are good for different defensive situations where you have Capella is a pretty good rim protector uh, he can switch a little bit more uh, than Nene can but Nene can help you in the post and Tariq Black should be able to help you in the post and he's kind of this physical guy so they seem to have that that big man, that brooding big man, uh, or that lean big man in Capella, just good for all these different kinds of situations. And one of the things we say about the Warriors the most is that they're just built to play any sort of style. So they will beat you at your own game, and then they'll master theirs and destroy you. And we, of course, are not going to say that about the Rockets just yet, but just looking at the cosmetic makeup of this roster, it looks like, hey, maybe they're close to on that same plane. Yeah, and you know, as I mentioned before, that the Rockets are now, I think, one of the most versatile teams in the NBA. That kind of translates perfectly to their just their center rotation itself. Um, as you mentioned, Capella is a great rim runner. He's great, uh, you know, partner for pick and roll uh, alley oops. He sets good screens. He can defend the rim, probably the best on the team. But then you know, on the other hand, you've got Nene, who has a lot better hands, sets good screens as well, can probably you know defend in the post a lot better. Which again, as you mentioned, is not that significant. Which is why it's kind of good that Capella is kind of entering his his own at this stage in the NBA instead of you know five years ago or something like that. Um, and then Tariq Black, a guy who probably you know last year. Capella got hurt for about a month, so that thrusted Montrez Hill into a big role. But if Capella does not miss a lot of time, Nene will, of course, miss 10 to 15 games for resting him. He doesn't play back-to-backs and things like that. So Black won't be won't have a, a you know consistent role of 20 minutes a night for you know 70 games but he'll probably play you know you know 50 games here and there depending on injuries and just a solid guy to set screens he's comfortable with you know Harden and Ariza having been on the Rockets uh, in the 2014-15 season and actually played a big role when Dwight Howard missed half that year as well um, so picking him up I think was underrated as well since they lost Harrell and the Chris Paul deal um, so they just have so many different big men that can do so many different things I one of my predictions I made for in that same hoops habit article was that Capella would shoot 70% from the floor or greater. Um, I think last year him and Harden were the number one alley-oop combination. Now he, he, and Chris Paul and DeAndre Jordan was like third or fourth. So now Capella is just going to get so many lobs at the rim. I think he could easily average, you know, 17 points per game, 10 rebounds per game, you know, two blocks per game. Um, especially when you consider the fact that last season, I'm pretty sure Capella played less than 24 minutes a game. Um, now that is a concern. There have, you know, D'Antoni has publicly kind of said that Capella's stamina is not where it should be. Um, and this offseason, Capella has been kind of trying to add strength, um, improve his stamina and durability so he can play, you know, upwards of 28, 29 minutes a night, which they probably will want and need since he is overall they're probably their best big man and, and best suited big man for Chris Paul and James Harden pick and rolls. Uh, 
But yeah, you know, if you look at how many opportunities Capella will have to, you know, increase his scoring numbers, his field goal percentage, um, and then you have Nene off the bench, always a solid veteran, good, uh, you know, good teammate in the locker room. Everyone has kind of said um, wherever he's played, um, just so many different aspects and, op- and options you can have with your big men on the floor. And they have three quality big men um, to use when, you know, in case of injuries and stuff like that. So, you know, in terms of versatility, the team overall is obviously versatile now, um, but just that center position alone is so versatile, and, and there's so many different centers for so many different matchups that make it make it really intriguing as well. Capella is fascinating too to me because he's extension eligible, coming up on restricted free agency, and we just saw Nerlens Noel sign his qualifying offer. Bigs were not getting a ton of money in the open market this year. I don't think they'll get a ton next year for one. Um, and this, I've cited this report, I think like a thousand times on this podcast by now, but from ESPN.com's Tim McMahon and Bobby Marks, they said that this market correction uh, is going to leak into next summer, which is going to hurt some of these bigs. And then just the fact that if you look at NBA def charts right now, there are, you could count them on one hand if you can count them at all. Not a lot of teams that need starting centers. And so now all of us on the Rockets are looking at this situation where whether they sign him to an extension or they let it leak out in a restricted free agency, uh, they're probably going to get him at a pretty good price. And I think one of the understated parts of his game is, again, he's not necessarily that physical big who's going to help you against more traditional towers. But one, traditional towers are kind of – they're still around, but they're not a huge part of the way the game is played today. And two – if you look at just last season, and, and you made this point, he went, he didn't even really play that much. It was under 24 mm-hmm. minutes a game. But if you look at the relative or the expected value of a shot at the rim last year on average, Capella saved 38 points at the rim for the Rockets, which sandwiches him right between DeAndre Jordan and Anthony Davis. And those are both guys mm-hmm. who played a ton more minutes than him. So, no, he's not. You're not going to compare him to the – I mean, I guess the DeAndre Jordan comparison might be fair now. He's never – I don't think he'll be as explosive, and DeAndre Jordan's certainly stronger. But if we're not going to compare him to those players, he's someone who's going to help you as that rim protector. And so it comes back to all those different options that the Rockets have. But I am very interested to see – I do agree with you that his offensive role, he's going to be super efficient next to Paul and Harden. But I'm kind of interested to see what that becomes – uh, when we look at his next contract um, and how will the Rockets value him because how, how often are they going to go smaller where he's necessarily not uh, at center and what's the big man market going to look like? So his future with the team, in addition to what we're going to see from him this season aso- uh, beside Chris Paul and James Harden is absolutely fascinating to me. Yeah, I think that Capella is one of the more interesting kind of pieces that the Rockets had to their quote-unquote core um, because of his contract situation, because of this seems like he has another step to make and now a, a huge step now that he added they added Chris Paul to play alongside him as well. So really, no matter when Capella's on the floor, he'll have either Paul or Harden or both. Um, you know, there were stretches last time where Capella would be subbed out to be brought in with the second unit, which would be Patrick Beverly and Eric Gordon. And those aren't the best, you know, out. They're certainly not the best alley-oop lob players. Um, you know, they're capable playmakers, but nowhere near the level of Paul or Harden. So I think those reasons, as I mentioned, the staggering minutes of Harden and Paul have such profound effects on the other role players who need good play, good point guards to create quality looks for them and capella is certainly like that as well and of course his contract situation is really interesting that the rockets are probably secretly very happy that the market has dried up teams don't have that much cap space they don't really need starting center so they p- could most likely get him at a discount um i would like for them to lock him up um but of course they could also see and evaluate the market and say if we let him go to restricted free agency there's really not many teams that could really throw him out there and, and will match anyways unless they start negotiating and, and his kind of camp says that they'll take a discount and they, his camp also recognizes that the market value has significantly decreased for you know centers um, in today's NBA. So, so many interesting things about Capella. Um, but again, I think the most interesting thing and the, the most important thing is that he could take another step um, playing more minutes, being more physical. We saw in that first round series against the Thunder, he really – just could he just really struggled a lot, and then he comes back in the second series against the Spurs and looks like um and just an incredible you know the best big man on the floor for most of the time. So you know if he adds more strength, can play more, gets more comfortable playing alongside two of the best pick and roll guards probably ever in Harden and Paul. I think there's so many areas for Capella to grow, um, and hopefully he can kind of stick around in Houston as another really big piece of their core at only 23 years old. So a lot of interesting aspects about Capella. Of course, the biggest one and most important one is him taking another step on the floor next season. It might need to be – it was definitely concerning at one point in the playoffs 
and I remember talking about this way back when, when it looked like Nene was the best big that the Rockets were mm-hmm. feeling. That was certainly a red flag. But maybe it needs to be one of those situations where DeAndre Jordan went through it with Doc Rivers. It's trial by fire. Like, you need to all of a sudden, I think Doc Rivers' first season with the Clippers, or maybe it was the second, like, he just played DeAndre Jordan 35 minutes a game after he had played under 25 minutes a season before. And it was just like, hey, we're, we're just going to throw him out there. And we just, he needs to figure it out. Uh, and again, maybe the way that lineups are run and the way Mike D'Antoni plays, he won't do that with Clint Capella. But if you're trying to build up his stamina, you want to see if he can last uh, that long. It might just need to be a thing where it's, hey, just go out and do it. And we need to get you used to playing above 30 minutes per game because they might need him to play that much. We don't, Nene's coming off his injury, and he's not young. You don't necessarily know what you have in Tariq Black. And these these super small ball combinations, again, they, they are something that coaches generally seem like they don't want to go to too often. So I think that kind of makes, when you look at the non-stars on this team, maybe, and this was going to be my next question, maybe Clint Capella is the most important Mm non-star on this squad, and I think you can easily make a case for that. I might be able uh, to make a case for Mbaba Mute as well, but I think when you look at what could happen and all these different options and Nene's injury history, I think you can easily make that argument. He is the most pivotal uh, non-star on this squad. Yeah, I think I would have if, – if asked that question, I probably would have to go with Capella as well. Um, you mentioned you know, the idea of kind of having him play through it. In the, in the first one against the Thunder, he only played 22 minutes per game, and that was actually less than he did in the regular season. With, against the Spurs, he played 29 minutes per game, but again, that series, he, just, he was just dominating for most of the games. Um, in that Thunder series, he really struggled, and Nene was that kind of perfect big man off the bench. He's physical, better hands, um, more able to handle guys like Steve Adams and Enos Cantor. Um, of course, Nene had that absolutely legendary 28 points, 10, 10 rebound game, and I think it was game four when he didn't miss a shot. Um, so, you know, Nene is always going to be there for insurance, but as you said, he's coming off an injury. He is, is he 34, 35 now? You really can't rely on him that much. Of course, Nene will never play over you know 18 minutes a game anymore only in the rare cases when they absolutely need him to but he he misses he doesn't play back-to-backs he you know he has some wear and tear there so they sit him out here and there um so you can't really rely on an a and you don't want to rely on Tariq black for significant heavy minutes right. of your rotation if you're going to be as good as the rockets hope to be so capella has to take that next step he's got to stay healthy he's got to play more minutes um he's got to get more physical and able to handle these bigger you know big men like a guy like steven adams you know the Pelicans duo of Cousins and Davis. Um, so, and then of course, you know, you can go to the small ball lineups for stretches when Nene is out, maybe in Capella struggling against those teams. But again, as you said, coaches aren't that comfortable doing so. Those small ball lineups could still get exposed by other teams that play big, big men. So, there's just so many aspects about Capella. I think that he has to take another step. He has to stay on the floor. He has to play more, get more physical, um, and then develop a really good chemistry with Chris Paul. He already has the chemistry with Harden, but there are going to be stretches where it's going to be Capella and Paul on the floor, and they have to develop a good enough chemistry like they did um, with Paul and DeAndre Jordan. So I would go with Capella for probably the most significant non-star on this roster in terms of him taking another step, and that will lead to further success for the Rockets this season. For some reason, I always forget how old Nene is. I looked it up while you were talking, and two things I found out that I didn't realize. So one, we're recording this uh, on September 3rd. His birthday is September 13th when he will turn 35, so happy early birthday to Nene. And he was also born Maybiner or Maybiner Rodney Hilario is his birth name. So those are two (laughs) facts. And the Capella-Paul chemistry is going to be interesting because – Paul makes these, you know, you again, you have that long-standing rapport with James Harden, but Paul makes these reads, especially when he's passing through the air. Like, there's a lot of anticipation involved, and that might need to be just a, a point of issue in training camp and through the preseason is getting that timing down because you have it with James Harden, and you know what he's going to do when he's hesitating or when he's attacking the basket. You kind of understand and get a feel for the situations when he probably will pass, when he's actually going to pass, or when he will look for his own shot. And with Paul, it might be a little bit more complicated because I don't his first instincts aren't necessarily to score at all. So that's going to be an adjustment uh, for Capella as well. And you're going between these two different – they still – are fantastic off drives, equally dangerous, but they have these two contrasting mindsets, so to speak, even though Harden just spent the year as Houston's point guard and averaged one jillion assists per game. And <laughs> to have to go between those two, I wonder if that'll be, it's not something I've thought about. I just honestly wonder whether it'll be difficult to, to kind of 
shimmy between those two different types of playmakers when you're Capella and you're trying to learn how to roll to the rim or when to roll off screens or how physical are you on screens? Are you going to fake those screens when you go with Paul to get an early start towards the rim? So it's that's going to be intriguing to watch as well. Yeah, I think there are just a lot of intriguing options and aspects of Chris Paul running any kind of pick and pop or pick and roll. Obviously, Capella, I think that what you said is a good point that maybe, you know, obviously if they work on it, hopefully they do work on it during training camp and preseason to get it, the chemistry down, you know, well enough for the regular season. But there could be a couple of games early on in the regular season where Paul throws some lobs and Capella's not ready for them or, or you know, Paul uses his screen to navigate around and then does, you know, one of his crazy, you know, bounce passes to Capella and he's not ready for them. Capella's hands aren't that great um, compared to Nene, whose hands are a lot better. And Nene also probably we'll have to spend some time getting that chemistry down with Paul and you know Paul and Harden are, are as you said equally dangerous you know using the pick and roll and, and creating for others but they do it very differently so that's another big aspect and the other thing I think is an interesting thing about Chris Paul running you know pick in and whatever is the pick and pop with Anderson if of course he's on the team when the regular season starts but <laughs> you know there are indications that he could still be on the team this this trade thing whatever these trade discussions could last for who knows how long and could never just come to fruition so Paul has never had a, a spacing power forward like Ryan Anderson. Um, he's had Blake Griffin who really can't shoot and just has just started to now develop his three-point shot. But Anderson is a guy – I think he took like seven or eight threes per game last year. Most of them you know, one to two feet behind the three-point line to, to provide even more spacing for Harden um, and now Paul, I guess. So – you know, Paul also navigating, you know, using pick and rolls with Capella and Nene, pick and pops with Anderson and maybe when they go small ball with other players as well. Um there's just so many aspects about, you know, the pick and roll or pick and pop with Chris Paul. One thing that, you know, Mike D'Antoni said is that he's not going to – well, he says he's most likely not going to do um, Paul Harden pick and pops or pick and rolls because he, he says that that will bring the two best defenders into the play, um, which is an interesting idea. I think that there could be times where doing pick and pops and pick and rolls with them, you know, involved in, you know, just one aspect of another set play where you know, Paul screens for Harden and Harden gets another screen from Capello or Anderson. And, there's, you know, just, you know, the defense is just broken down from there. But then I think there's just so many options to do with Chris Paul running the pick and roll or pick and pop. We saw a bunch of them with Harden last year, but these big men, Anderson, Capella, Nene will have to develop more chemistry with Paul than than Harden because they're both different players in the pick and roll slash pick and pop. You kind of made a good segue to Ryan Anderson, who we have not mentioned up until now in this podcast. <laughs> I, I, I guess at this point you kind of have to operate on the assumption that he'll be on the team when the season begins just because I, I don't see the Knicks ever taking on his contract. And the, the talks that we've seen about Carmelo Anthony is – Oh, from Woj mostly, oh, they find a third team who would take Anderson, but that third team wants to get off one of its own bloated salaries. So you need to go find a fourth team, in which case you're going to run into the same issue where they're probably to take on another bloated salary. They're going to want to get rid of another crummy contract of their own. And it's kind of amazing where when Anderson signed his four-year $80 million deal last summer, there was a lot of money being thrown out. But that was one of those contracts where no one really came out and touted it too much, but no one despised it too much. And then he during the season, did exactly what they wanted him to do. And that was essentially space the floor to where it seemed like 30 feet most of the time because you're looking at where he's taking his threes from, and that gave James Harden more room to operate. So he does exactly what you expected him to do, and now all of a sudden it's no one wants his contract, which is it's that's fascinating as well. And it's, you know, it's not a bad situation for the Rockets because I don't necessarily think you need Carmelo Anthony on this team. He gives you another shot creator. I would – Love to see those depth squads where you take out P.J. Tucker from center and put Melo there just to try it. I know you probably want to have Melo uh, guard most of the fours, and you probably want Tucker uh, on the court with him just to handle the bigger, burlier bigs, but those are just some interesting combinations that they can get to with him. I just don't think that they need him. He's not going to be – in theory, he's an upgrade defensively over Ryan Anderson because he should be able to switch better on the defensive end, but he – his effort there is just blah most of the time if it exists at all. And he was bad on defense last year. He was really bad on defense. So I don't, again, I don't think they need him. It would be fun as anything to watch him play on this rocket squad. But what do you, th one, do you think that he's going to end up in Houston? And two, let's assume that Anderson gets, uh, stays with the rockets into the year. At least what do you kind of see, uh, his role on this team being, uh, they're going to bring him, 
off the bench? Are they going to use him predominantly maybe at the five uh, and surrounded by all these wings? Uh, I'm, I'm very interested because there hasn't been a lot of talk about that because it almost seemed like the underlying assumption was, yeah, he just won't be here next year. Yeah, and it's a, it's a tough situation. I think it's also tough for Anderson, too, to just be publicly just being his name thrown around is obviously they're shopping him. I think it was Zach Lowe who had an article sometime in July that it was saying that the Rockets would need to give off two first-round picks just to get off Anderson's contract. And last season when he signed the contract, I think most people, most reasonable people in the back of their mind knew this contract's going to bite them, and it has to work in year one for it to be even close to have some kind of value and it did work it worked out really well in year one and now it's kind of you know deteriorating fast his value because he's going to approach his 29 30 years and he can't do anything really besides shoot um obviously he's a really extreme defensive liability um but and he's just the thing with Anderson is that he's more valuable to the Rockets than he would be most other teams. The Rockets, you know, with Mike D'Antoni and James Harden running the point guard last year they needed a, a space a spacing four they really didn't have that ever in in Harden's tenure before getting Anderson, um, which is why they had said that they were so keen on signing him. Um, So he provides a lot of value to the Rockets, which he might not provide as much value to other teams, um, which makes it also tough to kind of trade him away. But if he does stay with the Rockets, and I think that there's a decent chance now, the more this drags on, the more difficult it seems that they can create a trade without having to have four teams involved, which again are always so hard to negotiate. I think it'd be interesting. I think I would like to see Anderson at center more when you could put, um, you know, Paul Harden, maybe Ariza, and then maybe Tucker or Mabamute or one of those other ones, or maybe put Tucker small forward and Mabamute power forward or vice versa. Something around something around Anderson at center with three to four capable defenders around him um, would be very interesting. You probably could hide Anderson on somewhat a, a slow wing maybe, or maybe even a big that really can't do much offensively could also be helpful. Um, they did in the playoffs. Obviously, Nene went down, so Anderson kind of moved to the bench to be a backup center, and it was okay. It was not very successful. It was not t- terrible but again Anderson in the playoffs really really struggled shooting so that kind of killed all of his value no matter what but I think that putting him at center more this season would be something that they should try and do because they have more wing defenders last year they didn't have the wing defenders to put Anderson at center to make up for his lack of defensive ability now they do they have Mbamute they have Tucker they still have Ariza they still have Chris Paul now who's you know just as good maybe slightly worse than Beverly but as we talked about a bunch on the show already that he should have more effort to increase defensively because of the less the less and offensive burden so I think that Anderson I think right now I probably would put it at 50 50 that he's still on the roster for opening night um, but if he is I'd like to see him more at center I think that as I mentioned earlier that him and Chris Paul could be deadly because Paul I think it'll take time because Paul's not used to having a, such a good spacing big man at power forward but once he does get comfortable like Harden did we saw last year once Harden and Anderson had that chemistry down there were times a lot of the time probably you know, 50% of the time where Anderson would do a pick and pop and Harden would throw a pass uh, behind his back, bounce pass behind his back to Anderson, who would be ready for it then. That's a lot of chemistry. It's a lot of timing. And that's a lot of stuff that Chris Paul has to work out with Anderson. And then subsequently with Clint Capella and Nene, um, you know, Anderson's a big deal to the scene because he provides floor spacing. And, and now, you know, we love the signings of Tucker Mbamute. But again, them on the floor, they're capable three-point shooters, but they need players to create quality looks for them. Anderson just needs a little bit of space, and he's a knockdown shooter. So his shooting could become even more valuable, say, at center when you play Mbamute and Tucker together or Riza and, and Tucker together or something like that. So I think he still provides a lot of value to the Rockets. Um, as you mentioned and as you said, I don't think Anthony's like – I don't think that I think people are going a little bit too overboard on how important trading for Carmelo Anthony would be. Um, if I was the Rockets, I would not even do the trade if you have to give up more than Anderson and a future first round pick. I think if you give up more than that, you're going to lose the trade because Anthony's just not that great with this, within this team because they already have Harden and Paul for the, on to handle the ball duties. So. I think overall, in the end, Anderson provides more value to the Rockets than he would other teams, and, and putting him at center with these you know, wing defenders would be really interesting lineups that would be good offensively and, I think, capable enough defensively for stretches anyways. Yeah, and you put him at center, and you look, his average shot distance was almost 20 feet last year, <laughs> which was by far and away for everyday players on the Rockets, just the, the highest. It wasn't even close. Eric Gordon was the second closest at 18.7. You put that at center— and you station him that far beyond the arc, one of two things is going to happen. You've all of a sudden removed 
in theory, the other team's best rim protector from the paint, and now you have Chris Paul and James Harden on the floor who can just attack, or you've, in essence, taken another wing defender out of the equation because if that team decides, if the defense decides we're going to leave our rim protector in the middle, um, we're going to put Anderson out there and we'll stick a wing on him. So now that's one less wing defender that you have to worry about. And they can stash the player uh, who is the worst defender on Anderson, that's fine, but Anderson can still knock down some semi-contested shots. If you leave him alone, he's definitely going to hit a high percentage of those looks. And just fundamentally, it creates more space by sticking him that far out. You just you look at their offense last year, and he was so far beyond the arc uh, than normal than most other players. And, and you give that space to Chris Paul and James Harden with with the subsequent effects that it'll have on the team's defense and how they decide to play it when Anderson's out there because he's shown uh, last year that he can hit those really, really deep threes on a semi-consistent basis. That's going to bring their offense to another level. And as you said, when you have the wing defenders to cover it up, why the hell not do it and just stick him at the five? I would not be, if he's on this team, and I, I do think, again, it would be entertaining as hell to watch Carmelo Anthony on this team. All of a sudden you have these three guys in Harden, Chris Paul, and Melo who can run like these interchangeable pick and rolls. We can see a, a James Harden, Carmelo Anthony pick and roll just between two wings. That that would be fun. But the fact that you have Anderson and if, if he's on this roster on opening night and if he's there for most of the year, I wouldn't be surprised to see 50% or more of his minutes come at the five just because of the matchup advantages you can still call from that decision. And no, he's not going to be worth what's remaining on his contract. But he's still going to give you what he gave you last season, if not more. And I do think it hurts while we've kind of gotten rid of the importance of positions. When you look at players who play power forward, there are not a lot of bad contracts at that position right now. Like you can probably argue that James Johnson's four-year $60 million deal is one of the worst, and that doesn't even look that bad. So when you have four years and 80 committed to Anderson and you know he's possibly the primary hang-up in a Carmelo Anthony deal, yes, it's easy to criticize, uh, but it's not like he's, it, it's not like he's regressed as a player, like he's he's a good fit for this roster, and you said it multiple times. I'm just so I want to see what he would look like at the five, and it wouldn't surprise me if that basically becomes his position uh, should he stay with this team. Yeah, I think that I think maybe last year maybe Mike D'Antoni was more hesitant and rightly so for not putting Anderson at the five because they didn't have the wing defenders to kind of hold up and prevent players from driving to the rim where Anderson obviously really wouldn't bother them. This year they do, um, and that's why I think that Anderson at the five makes more sense, and it, it's just a logical fit both offensively and you know they can hold up defensively well enough to do that for more you know for significant stretches. And going back to his contract overall, I mean last season, last summer, you have to kind of take it into perspective. The Rockets coming off a really bad year, 41-41. Dwight left, you know things were looking sour for James Harden, things were looking sour on Daryl Morey, and. They couldn't get a meeting with Kevin Durant. They kind of had fallen off to the second tier of, of teams for free agents um, for the most part. And, you know, they had to have a rebound year. Obviously, they had publicly loved Ryan Anderson for years. And they gave him that money because they weren't sure if they were going to – they did not think that they would get back to this level this quickly. And Anderson's a big part of that, giving him this money and, and providing that floor spacing and shooting for James Harden, who turns into one of the best, if not the best, point guard in the league last year. Um, and then they'd bring in Eric Gordon, who Anderson actually – and Anderson called Gordon to join him in Houston almost right after he signed the contract. So that also leads to another domino falling. And Gordon obviously played a significant role on the team last year, winning six men of the year, being a, pay, a capable shooter and ball handler off the bench. So, you know, they kind of viewed those signings last year as, you know what, we're not going to be we're not going to jump instantly back to being the top teams, which ironically they did. But they, they thought, you know, let's just get, you know, incrementally better. Let's provide the shooting we need around Harden. Let's get more playmaking and shooting in Eric Gordon. Let's bring in Mike D'Antoni. Let's go full board for this offensive juggernaut. They they were very successful. They were an offensive juggernaut. They stayed healthy, which is a big aspect of Gordon and Anderson, which is another aspect of the Rockets' upcoming season that could be a cause for concern. Um, but it worked out. They didn't really think that they would make this big of a leap to 55 wins, second round of the playoffs, attract Chris Paul, and now become one of the favorites to compete for the conference finals in the West. So they kind of have to take the signings as they were in a vacuum, as you have to do with most of the other 2016 uh, summer signings, because the contracts were big, but you know teams were kind of you know thrown up, thrown off by the the cap increase and weren't sure where they were going to be a year from now, like the Rockets were. So I think they're happy that they gave the contracts ultimately, especially to Anderson. I mean, especially to Gordon because Gordon's contract is reasonable. But you know they they're still probably happy enough that they gave Anderson's contract and at least for the first year 
you know, he was a big part of a 55 win team lost in the second round in a competitive series. And ultimately the team was good enough and had James Harden to attract a guy like Chris Paul and other capable wing defenders. So in the end, I think that they're probably happy with the contracts. Um, but of course, now moving forward, it does put them in a little bit of a situation. But again, as, as we talk about, we agree that Anderson still provides value, especially if you start playing him at center with all these wing defenders. So I think moving forward, I think they're fine if they don't add Melo. Obviously, Melo would make things more interesting. Also would probably make them, you know, make a greater ability for this team to combust with all these, you know, personalities and egos and players who need the ball to be good. Mm -hmm. um, and Melo and D'Antoni obviously had some issues in the past. So I think keeping the team as it is now kind of lessens the risk of this team kind of combusting um, personality wise, especially Melo. Um, and Anderson, of course, I think still provides enough value to keep him and still be the favorite for the conference finals number two seed with the Warriors anyway. So. I think Anderson right now is in a tough situation. Of course, they've publicly thrown him around. But deep down, I think he knows and the team knows that he still provides significant value, especially with all the wing, wing defenders they've added this summer. I think it's to the point where you're right. If you have to give up more than Anderson and a future first-round pick, just don't do the deal. Like, if it's anything more of value, there's no point because, again, Melo helps you more on the offensive end, but you don't need anything more on the offensive end, and he's yeah. not <laughs> enough of an upgrade defensively if he's an upgrade at all. And, you know, the Mikey and Tony Melo stuff, it, it'd be – It'd be crazy to kind of see them on the same team again, but I think we're at the point where Mike D'Antoni has been vindicated mostly yeah. because of the Warriors, and I think people even saw he wanted to play Melo at the four as a point forward, and that's where some of Melo's best moments as a Nick came, but it was after Mike D'Antoni left, so Melo kind of looks like the, the fool in that scenario, and, and rightfully so, that D'Antoni was just light years ahead on Nick's team. Well, maybe not light years, but D'Antoni was ahead of the curve at the time for a Nick's team that is notoriously behind the eight ball. So it just didn't work out. And Melo's a player who's kind of always been but behind the curve and, and slow to adapt. Uh, the one thing I want to get to really quickly before we get down to brass tacks and give the record projections, we just haven't talked about him that much, is Eric Gordon. Uh, does this, getting Chris Paul, do you think that kind of eats into his role at all? Do you think it helps him kind of go for six man of the year again? Because you know that when D'Antoni staggers those minutes between Harden and Paul, that Gordon is probably going to be the other guard that's on the floor. Uh, he'll get a lot more spot-up opportunities, and, and we saw that he was willing to basically do that last year. He didn't really need to handle the ball uh, as much. And then if you're going to get a guy who is accurate and doesn't necessarily want to have to dominate the rock as often, he should be, again, a seamless fit. But I'm just wondering, are we going to see his minutes go down? Or is this a guy that we need to look at and be like, hey, we might be talking about a, a six-man-of-the-year uh, reigning champion repeating? I think that I think there is a good chance that he does repeat for six man of the year. Um, last year, obviously, a lot of people thought he wasn't that deserving, um, and it's interesting because with Gordon, you know, last year was the first year in a long time that he played the majority of the season. I think he missed about he missed about eight or ten games um, due to some nagging injuries. Um, but the thing with Gordon, what happened last year, is that. The kind of narrative for six man of the year really started quickly. November, December, you know, October, the first couple of games, and slightly into January, he got all the hype for six man of the year. He was shooting incredibly from beyond the arc. The Rockets were winning a lot of games, so the narrative built. But people kind of don't pay enough attention to how poorly he fell off in you know that second half of the year. Um, in January, he shot below thirty percent from beyond the arc. Um, Post All Star break, he shot below 34% from beyond the arc. So, you know, as that kind of elite three point shooter, you know, for a good part of the season post All Star break, he was certainly not that. Um, and then, of course, they added Lou Williams, which looked to make Gordon a little bit more uncomfortable as they played this kind of three guard rotation of Beverly, Lou Williams, and Gordon. Um, so now Gordon kind of reverts back to a more traditional six man role where he will come off the bench, replace either Paul or Harden, depending on how they stagger the minutes. And, you know, he'll be playing next to an elite point guard for all stretches of when he's on the floor. And of course, he's also capable as a secondary ball handler if necessary. If a play breaks down and they have to give him the ball, he can initiate a screen with, you know, say Capello or Nene as well. Um, so I think that we're going to see a better Eric Gordon here. Um, again, as I mentioned before, him staying healthy, you know, he stayed, last season was the healthiest year of his career, I think, since his rookie season. So will that, you know, remain the case? We don't know. Same with Anderson as well, um, which is why I think it's important that they got more depth. Um, but Gordon's going to be an important aspect because the Rockets right now only have three, you'd say, capable guards, Paul Harden and Gordon. You don't want to play Paul more than 32, 33 minutes a night. 
they play Harden usually 35 to 36. You don't want to play Gordon more than 30, 31. So, you know, there's going to be moments where Paul's going to miss games, Gordon's going to miss games. They're going to have a burden in that guard rotation, which is why I think that, you know, they've got guys like Bobby Brown and Isaiah Taylor, but of course, you don't want to rely on them for significant stretches at all. Um, so I think it could be interesting if they could maybe add another veteran guard um, to help them out because Gordon and Paul, you know, don't usually play the whole year in the past couple of years. So, um, but in the end, in terms of Gordon's role, I think it'll be very similar to kind of the first post, the pre-All-Star role he had before they acquired Lou Williams. He'll be more comfortable. He'll be playing alongside Harden or Paul, which will make him get quality looks. And, you know, I think it'll be a, a much better, smoother role for Gordon this season now that Lou Williams is gone and doesn't really put Gordon in an awkward position. And, of course, when you play next to Chris Paul or James Harden, it obviously leads to better looks and probably an easier uh, role in time playing as well. So I think we'll see more pre-All-Star Eric Gordon where he was most most deserving for six-man of the year uh, in this upcoming season. And I think it helps that you can they can probably justify keeping his minutes easier, assuming everyone stays healthy. Uh, I don't want to say more consistent necessarily, but you're not going to have these. I don't think you should at least have these many games where he's playing – markedly over 30 plus minutes per game just because if you look at his splits from last year he was most deadly uh, in terms of accuracy he shot 41 plus percent from three when he played under 30 minutes per game and the games he played over 30 minutes per game he didn't even shoot 35 percent from long range so you, you mix in the extra talent around him the better quality of shots that he's going to get with perhaps um, a smaller burst role which he seems like the perfect player uh, to, to kind of carry that, that type of responsibility, he might be, this might be an even better season for him in Houston, which is, uh, that's almost, given what he did before the All-Star break, like you said, and I didn't even realize how much his efficiency plummeted after the All-Star break. Uh, just looking at everything, rolling it into one, that, that might actually bode well for him. So uh, now that we've kind of wrapped up all of that, the nuance regarding this team, what do you see as a pessimistic what is your pessimistic projection uh, for this squad, and what is your optimistic uh, projection for this squad in terms of record and where they'll stand in the Western Conference? Um, okay, so I think a pessimistic a pessimistic record, I think, factors in potential injuries and potential clashes uh, between Harden and Paul, and maybe if they do get mellow, that also is an option for kind of clashing teammates. Um so I think that those are the two biggest reasons and causes for concerns are injuries and just, you know, clashing of teammates and and, and leaders. Um, and that would probably lead to, you know, they won 55 games last year. I think they'd still, if that were to happen, would win in the, you know, 48 range, 48 to 50 wins, honestly, because they have so much talent, so much defensive versatility, enough shooting, enough playmaking. Um, again, so I think that if they stay healthy and, you know, Harden and Paul are as excited as they seem to be playing together. And Mike D'Antoni um, can craft the, the perfect offense around these two great playmakers and shooters and big men. I think they would still win in the upper 40s to low 50s if they you know, don't stay healthy and they have some clashing. That's probably a pessimistic op, uh, projection in terms of record. The optimistic one is that, you know, I think that even the optimistic projection has to factor in that they will still kind of struggle in the first week or so of the season, first mm -hmm. two weeks, the first five-ish, five to ten games. But the optimistic projection, you know, kind of feels like they struggle for a little bit and then they once they click, it's just beautiful basketball and they just rack up, you know, a lot of wins um, and say, you know, win 60 games and, you know, make the conference finals because of that defensive versatility, because an added playmaker and, you know, shot creator in Chris Paul, who if they had Paul last year, I think everyone would have picked them to beat the Spurs in that second round series um, because he just makes their offense more dynamic. So I think that you know, the optimistic projection factors in that they might struggle, go 500 in their first five to you know seven games, and then just you know hit the ground running, um, kind of like last year actually when they started in December and they went like 14 and two in December. Um, and ultimately, I think the optimistic projection kind of has them at like 60 wins mm -hmm. in the conference finals berth. So. I think a realistic my win projection is probably around 56 to 57 only because I think that the struggling period could probably last the first 10 games and, you know, injuries. I think that Gordon and Paul will probably miss, you know, 10 games themselves and Anderson will miss 10 games. So I think I'm going to ultimately my ultimate projection would probably be 57 wins. Um, and I still think that they would make the conference finals just because come playoff time, they have defensive versatility. They've got they've had added playmaker and point God in Chris Paul. Um so, yeah, I think I'd go with 57 wins probably in, in my realistic projection. 
I think I'm right there with you because I was just going to say the last thing would have been: Are they going to get more wins than the 55 they had last season? And when you factor in the learning curve, I think even if it's even if it's 56 as opposed to 55, I think they'll get there. The interesting thing though is, is while I would pick them for the Western Conference Finals, um, I guess it's a, a it'll be a nice little battle between the two and the three seeds. It depends upon how that kind of shakes out. They need one of those top three seeds to make sure that they don't have to face the Warriors before the conference finals. Uh, but I think they'd be my pick uh, to get one of those top three seeds without question. I'm not ready to write off the Spurs. I'm also higher on the Thunder, but I think they'll win more games than they did last year, assuming everyone remains relatively healthy. And I think they're going to be one of the, the – looking on paper at least, they might be one of the two to three, if there's even that many, biggest threats to the Warriors' reign right now. Yeah, and you know, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the Thunder really quickly because I'm really, really high on Thunder. I think that the Thunder are probably the biggest threat to the Rockets because they have so many – now they have defenders to throw at the Rockets. We saw Roberson really bothers hard, and they've got Paul George now to, who could smother Chris Paul. Um, they got guys like Patrick Patterson. Love who him. Can kind of love this. I think it's one of my favorite signings, um, and I actually wrote about it in one of my NBA math articles, how much I love the Patterson signing. Um, so I think that the Thunder are probably – and of course, I'm not – ever going to write off the Spurs, but I think the Spurs had a you know pretty poor offseason. Um, so I think the Spurs will be there, but I think ultimately come playoff time, you know, and maybe in a 2-3 matchup, Thunder Rockets could be very a very viable option, and I, I could see the Thunder being a real threat to the Rockets come playoff time. Well, there you have it, folks. That was our 2017-2018 Houston Rockets preview. We are both, as you can tell, Eric and I, very high on them. They're going to be <laughs> Uh, probably one of the five best teams to watch this year, just in terms of sheer entertainment. And I think, of course, when you look at the records, uh, they'll be one of the top five teams as well. If you want to talk more, Derek, about his thoughts on this team, um, you can get at him on Twitter, at Eric Spiros MBA. That's Eric, S-P-Y-R-O-S-M-B-A. Um, be sure to check out his work at MBA Math. Uh, also, for he writes about the Rockets and the NBA for Hoops Habit. Definitely check out his website, for which he is the founder, editor, and podcast host, The 94 Feet Report. You can follow them at The 94 Feet Report. If you want to talk to myself on Twitter, I'm at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. You can also talk to Andy at Andrew D. Bailey, spelled exactly like it sounds. Be sure to follow at NBA underscore math, and you can also get at all of us at the official Hardwood Knox Twitter account, spelled exactly like it sounds as well. And because I do not have to deal with Andy on the podcast, there will be no shout-out to Beno Udre to end it. So until next time. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.